0: Please stand in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen. this is the day which the Lord has made from the rising of the Sun to its setting Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Anger, Jesus, said and the Jesus said, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Christ was wounded for our transgressions. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. A reading from Exodus. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. the Lord said to Moses why do you cry to me tell the people of Israel to go forward lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch The Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen so moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared and as the egyptians fled into it the lord threw the egyptians into the midst of the sea the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand. You may be seated.
1: You are, O oh Lord, my heart's desire. You are my God, my hope entire. This hope and confidence I claim, you will not see me put to shame. Lord, my soul stands in greatest need that you for her should care, should lead, that you should shine your light most true and show the path that leads to you. When our children were much younger and all still at home, we discovered a board game that quickly became a favorite. It's called The Amazing Labyrinth. In this game, each player is assigned several treasures that he or she must acquire by moving a game piece around the labyrinthine board. The task is complicated, however, by the fact that players also use maze cards to actually change the labyrinth around on every turn. What was once a straight shot suddenly becomes a dead end. A solid wall is now a doorway. As the labyrinth changes, your treasure may drop into your lap or fly to the farthest corner of the maze. Do you ever wonder if our favorite games are our favorites because they're such appropriate metaphors for our lives. The only difference being that we feel like we at least have a chance of winning the games. How does one chart a course through the world when the changes and chances of life keep shifting the maze? How do you make a decision or a promise? Nurture a hope or a dream, protect a love or a loved one when you never know what the next play is going to bring. What a wild, wonderful, bewildering, and sometimes wicked world our paths traverse. Who can say what will happen next A volcano erupts, a doctor diagnoses. You meet someone, you lose someone. An investment wins big. All investments fail miserably. A door opens, a home collapses. He asks. She says yes. You read a book you write a letter, the phone rings, you answer the door, you blink, your life changes forever. So it is even for the children of God. So it is even for God's Easter people, even for the apples of his eye. The promise of paradise becomes a wilderness wandering. An escape route opens in the sea. Night becomes as bright as day. A cloud shows the way. The stone is rolled back. The body is gone. A promise is kept. Believers don't believe. A shepherd becomes a king. A giant is slain. A husband is slain. Lust is born, a newborn dies. A kingdom can be built, a temple cannot. Prophets can get lost in a world like this. Disciples can get lost in a world like this. Kings can get lost in a world like this we get lost in a world like this. Who can guide us through our amazing labyrinth? The lost prophet knows who to turn to. The lost king knows who to cry to. What about the lost disciple? Do we know where to find the door when the straight shot to our treasure has become a brick wall? Do we know where to look to find the key when we're locked in or locked out? Do we know where to find the truth in a world that claims to need no truth because there is no truth? Who will blaze the trail that leads us to life, to joy, to peace, to God? Do we know? Yes, we know. And so we sing.
0: Please stand. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you make us both to will and to do those things that are good and acceptable in your sight. Let your fatherly hand ever guide us and your Holy Spirit ever be with us to direct us in the knowledge and obedience of your word, that we may obtain everlasting life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. A reading from John. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. may be seated.
1: Yes, we know who can guide us through this ever-changing labyrinth. And yes, we trust in God, our faithful God. But confidence comes fairly easy in here, doesn't it? We may sing about dark roads, but we're singing in a beautiful, sunshiny sanctuary. Change the setting and the tune might change too. In fact, the words of Jesus can sound very different in, very, in different places as well. Just as our words can be easier or harder to say depending on where we are, so his words can be easier or harder to hear depending on where he is. We tend to hear a heavenly Jesus speak these words from John 14, but remember that it's in the upper room that the disciples first hear them. It's a Jesus who, within the hour, will walk the path to Golgotha, who says, I am the way. The words, that where I am, you also may be sound very nice coming from a Jesus in heaven. But how do they sound coming from a Jesus on the cross or a Jesus in the grave? Remember that Jesus is speaking the words, I am the way, to disciples who had consistently throughout their entire time with him protested, this cannot be the way. Now we know it's easier to sing about, and yes, to preach about, trusting our faithful God when dark is our road than it is to trust him when we're actually walking that dark road. We know it because we have failed so often in the past. God's mercy and steadfast love may be of old, but our sins stretch way back to our youth. But turn, O Lord, your eyes away from all those times I turned astray. What must you think of all the sin that from my youth I've wandered in? How many times has God in his mercy and steadfast love shown us the way only to have us refuse to follow? How many times has the God, the mysterious and the almighty, changed the labyrinth for me and for you, leveling mountains and raising up valleys, warping time and space, rending the heavens and walking the earth, opening up a way where there was no way possible, only to have us turn aside, or stop, or go back. And how many times after years of patient instruction and careful preparation has our Lord heard from us the response, we don't know the way, how could we know the way? We have no idea where all of this is going. Honest Thomas. That's what I think we should call him. Honest Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because we resent him for saying the things that we would say if we were honest with ourselves and had the courage to say them. There is as little pious pretense in Thomas as there is tact. He refuses to simply accept Jesus' words as inspiring religious rhetoric. No, he wants the truth. He wants something he can understand. He wants something he can carry home with him. I'll let Jesus be my guide. I'm going to follow the Lord. Guide us while here we wander until we praise you yonder. What does any of that mean? What does it mean when the road just stops? When the heavens go silent? When the cloud becomes fog and the seas roar rather than part? Now maybe Thomas should have been listening and maybe He should have been watching more closely, and maybe it was awfully late to be asking a question like this, but at least he's honest. At least he admits how lost he is, even with Jesus for his guide. It was for the lost that he came, you know. His classes are filled with sinners. He is the leader of the lowly. His uprightness shows itself in this, that he sets us wrong-turners on the right road again. And his goodness shows itself in this, that he finds us when we stray and leads us when we cannot see our way, refuse to see his way, are afraid to walk that way, tell him this cannot be the way. The Lord is true and good to him who knows his sin and turns again. Him who obeys yet falls once more, the Lord will raise up and restore. As I was writing those words about lostness, I found myself humming Amazing Grace. When I realized what I was humming, the words uh, suddenly came to mind. And for the first time, I was struck by the strangeness of words so familiar to me that I could find myself singing them unconsciously. I once was lost, but now am found. I once was lost. I mean, as a child, I once really had the experience of being truly lost. And it was terrifying. And just telling you about it brings back a tiny bit of that terror again. But when I was lost, I didn't want to be found. I wanted to be home. Of course, I was happy to finally see a face, a face that I knew. But if this path could not be trusted, And if these woods threatened to separate me forever from those who loved me and protected me, then I wanted to be out, and I wanted to be out now. I wanted the end of the path, the end of the woods. I wanted to be home. Well, when all of this suddenly and uh, without invitation came upon me in my office... I thought I really better check Luke 15 again, and there in verse 24, the father really does say, his son, the prodigal, was lost and now is found. But notice where they are when the father says that. And the realization slowly dawned that I, the good shepherd's lost sheep, am found but not home. There are still paths to follow. I am still not out of the woods yet, but when this guide, when my Jesus takes my hand, the terror begins to lose its grip. I'm no longer running blindly down paths of fear. Now I follow him along paths that aim true has laid out with mercy, and even though I cannot see around every corner, even though I cannot see where these ventures end, I know who leads me. I know the way.
0: Please stand. Our help is in the name of the Lord. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Since we are gathered to hear God's word, Call upon him in prayer and praise, and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship of the altar. Let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God. Our heavenly Father, seeking His grace for the sake of Christ and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Almighty God, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. Almighty God, merciful Father, in holy baptism you declared us to be your children and gathered us into your one holy church, in which you daily and richly forgive us our sins and grant us new life through your spirit. Be in our midst, enliven our faith, and graciously receive our prayer and praise. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. A reading from Luke. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand.
2: Inherit the land.
3: The French-
0: Maybe may be seated.
1: are walking, you and I. We think we know where we're going. We think we know why. We're about to be proven wrong on both counts. And we've never noticed before that the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus leads through a graveyard. Puzzled, even curious, why a familiar road should look so different now We don't want to look up. We fight to keep our eyes fixed on our feet. One foot in front of the other, that's it. Just keep going. Why look up? We're already haunted enough. But curiosity finally wins out. We strain and squint to make out the names marking the graves and this place becomes stranger still and more disturbing. We pick up the pace but seem to move no faster. What strange place has this path brought us to? Can this be one of those many paths that are mercy and truth? And if all the Lord's paths are, perhaps this isn't one of them after all. There may be truth in a graveyard, but it's a strange place to look for mercy. At first we think it must be coincidence, some tragic tale of lost daughters. For the first name we read is Hope. Yes, Hope lies buried here. And next to her lies her sister, Joy. And the row stretches on before us. Here lies Irene, our peace. And then patience, then charity, faith, and even truth. Finally, and we can hardly bear it, mercy, whom we never knew. But what disturbs us most of all is that all these graves are newly filled. In unison, without a word spoken, we force our eyes back to our feet, only to discover a third pair. Who is this who walks with us? The caretaker? No, a stranger, another traveler on his way home. But who is he? He seems to know nothing, so we begin to tell him. How odd we tell him that you should find us in this graveyard, for it is death that has brought us here. You see, we had hoped. Did we hear ourselves say that? Yes, how strange. Our hope lies dead and buried, too. And then some women said he must be alive. And now we can't even believe our own friends. Who could make up stories at a time like this? Has truth died too? But alas, he's gone. The one in whom we glimpsed the promise of mercy, a mercy we will now never know. Oh foolish children, he begins, And how is it that this one, who seemed to know nothing, knows us so well? O foolish children, how can you not understand that his death was also the death of all your false hopes, all your selfish dreams? Your notions of love and truth all lie buried in his tomb. And little wonder that you should also find there memorials to your patience joy, and peace, for what within you can possibly keep them alive. You must walk this path. You must see what has died, and you must know that he has risen, so that they will never rise again. How else can he fill you with the hope that never dies, With the faith to last to eternity, with a peace and a joy that this world cannot give. Ah, Emmaus at last, the place we still think is our destination and the supper we've been waiting for. Stay with us, stranger, we plead, for your tale brings a strange warmth that rids us of the lingering chill of that eerie path. And kindles something within us we have never known before. He stays, and we feel as if we are here at his invitation. He feeds us, and we know him again. And he vanishes, no doubt leading us still in his mysterious way back to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth with new hope burning in our hearts, and words of forgiveness in his name on our lips. Yes, Lord, you know me part and whole. You see the tears flow from my soul. My soul that trembles in your care, yearns for the help you offer there. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great." It's difficult to think of a more appropriate response to the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus than these words from David in verse 11 of our psalm. They echo a recurrent theme of the psalm. My trust is in you, don't let me be ashamed. Remember me according to your mercy. Your steadfast love is of old. Let your righteousness save me, for I trust in you. And there's another verse here that seems to have a special connection with Luke's gospel. One of the most elusive words that is rich in allusion in this psalm, and for that reason a word very difficult to express by means of a single English word, is the word translated in our version by friendship. Friendship. Dalich suggests that the word signifies a being closely pressed together for the purpose of secret communication and converse, confidential communion, or being together. In fact, Jerome translated the word as secret. The friendship of the Lord, his private counsel, The news, the wisdom, the truth that is so good, he only whispers it to his most intimate companions. That is what the Lord reserves for those who fear him. How better to visualize this than by means of that intimate, quiet conversation on the way to Emmaus. And in his name, it is whispered to us too.
0: Let us pray. Lord our God, you show us your ways of compassion and love, and you spare sinners. Remember not our sins, relieve our misery, satisfy the longing of your people, and fulfill all our hopes for eternal peace. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. A reading from Hebrews. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. be seated.
1: It is unfortunate that David Schmidt's devotion on Psalm 25 was printed on the back of the service folder today. Unfortunate, because if it had not been printed there, I could have used it for my closing reflection. (laughs) It's a wonderful summary of a psalm whose contents really are as diverse and unpatterned as the contents of my garage. He mentions there that David used the Hebrew alphabet to order his petitions. And it's true, uh, even though translators don't try to reflect this in their English translations. Another scholar explains, In the common form of acrostic found in Old Testament poetry, each line or stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. This literary form may have been intended as an aid to memory, but more likely it was a poetic way of saying that a total coverage of the subject was being offered, as we would say, from A to Z. Well, thus, you can understand how John Golden Gay refers to our psalm as a psalm designed to cover the bases of prayer from A to Z. Yet prayer seems too narrow to serve as the topic of this psalm. David certainly prays the whole way through, and his prayer can serve as a model for our own. But is he really trying to teach us how to pray? I think the comparison to a travel guide is more apt, but even that needs to be qualified. It's really more of a follower's guide than a traveler's guide. And it's a pocket guide at that. David has no time for excurses or appendices on what if this happens or what if that doesn't happen. Why? Because we're neither choosing the destination nor mapping the route. We blaze no trails but follow a path that has already been walked. It is our Lord Jesus who is the founder and perfecter the origin and the goal, the A and the Z to this path. As he has told us, he is the way. So we look to him, we trust in our guide and not in our sense of direction, and we follow. The path that he leads us along is so narrow in places that we can't even walk too abreast. David acknowledges the loneliness of this path, but the author of the letter to the Hebrews speaks of a great crowd surrounding us. Could this be the crowded loneliness of which John Keble spoke, where ever-moving myriads seem to say, Go, thou art not to us, nor we to thee, away? How is it possible that we could be surrounded by witnesses along our path, fellow followers of the way, and still feel alone? Well, look around the chapel here this afternoon. How many among those present do you number among your intimate, trusted friends? How many would you trust to offer a helping hand when your foot slips, your legs weary, or you feel you've lost sight of the way? Though David prays in very intimate, private terms throughout the psalm, he cannot let it stop there. The author of, the, of Hebrews will not let us let it stop there either. We do not walk alone. This is not only true because our guide and our way never leaves or forsakes us. This is not only true because he provides his own integrity and uprightness to accompany us us on either side or in front and behind. It's true because we walk as Israel. Though Jesus' footprints are the surest tracks to mark our way, They're not the only footprints for us to follow. We focus our eyes on Jesus. That's true. But that doesn't mean we close our ears to the encouragement, the consolation, the strength, and the boldness that comes from the mouths of our brothers and sisters, fellow pilgrims who walk before, who stand beside, who follow after. Direct and guide me, Lord, to you, and all the Christians near me too. Of our offenses leave no trace, new hearts and minds put in their place. Cleanse us from all sin's filthy mess, redeem from fear and from distress. In grace, soon lead us from this night to peace and joy's eternal light. Amen.
0: Please stand. Let us pray. God our Savior, you utter a word of promise and hope and hasten the day of justice and freedom. Yet we live in a world regretful of your word. Our watchfulness dulled by the cares of life keep us alert make us attentive to your word ready to look on your son when he comes with power and great glory make us holy and blameless ready to stand secure when the day of his coming shakes the world with terror We ask this through him whose coming is certain, whose day draws near. Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. May the God of power and might, who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, who himself was manifested to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and who took bread, blessed it, and ate with them, be gracious to you and lead you in his way. And the almighty and merciful Lord, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless and preserve you now and forever. Amen.